0: Last Sunday, Olympic silver medalist, this guy here, Jonathan Brownlee, was leading the field at the World Triathlon Championship on the Caribbean island of Cozumel. After a, a one and a half kilometre swim, a 40 kilometre bike ride and most of the 10 kilometre run, he looked set to win the race and to clinch his second world Title. But only 500 metres from the end of the race, exhaustion set in. And he was at the point of collapse. And it was then that this happened. So have a look at this place. Amazing example of brotherly love. Uh, Even though Alistair himself was exhausted and racing to the finish line, he was willing to stop, put his arm around his brother and help him to the end, even give him a little shove to get over the line. But it's also a powerful reminder, I think, that no matter how strong or capable or committed we might be, some things are just too tough for us to handle on our own. Sooner or later, we all need somebody to come alongside us and help us over the line. This week we're starting a series in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. In many ways, this is a real challenging letter to study. Some people claim that it's one of the most difficult parts of the New Testament to translate and interpret. I've even heard somebody say it's their least favourite book of the Bible. And it was clearly a difficult letter for Paul to write. He was going through an incredibly painful time in his life. And his emotions as he was writing it seemed to be just all over the place. And yet this letter is just packed full of encouragement. Especially for us when we feel exhausted or discouraged or hurt or just too weak to keep going. It reminds us again and again that no matter what we're going through... We don't need to do it alone. There is someone who wants to come alongside us and help us over the finish line. So this morning we're just going to read the first little section of Second Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 1 down to, to verse 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God And Timothy, our brother. To the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble. With the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance. Of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that we, He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. These days, there's an increasing number of Christians who say that God's plan for our lives is for us to experience everything that we could ever want now. We could experience everything that we could ever want now. Listen to what the pastor of one of the largest churches in the US wrote in one of his books. He says, all of us are born for earthly greatness. You were born to win. God wants you to live in abundance. You were born to be a champion. If you develop an image of success, health, abundance, joy, peace, happiness, nothing on earth will be able to hold those things from you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's plan for your life is to enjoy earthly success? Health, abundance, happiness and greatness and to have it all now? If that is the case then Paul was doing something really wrong in his life. Because when he wrote this letter he wasn't experiencing those things. We read in verse 8 We do not want you to be uninformed brothers about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. The hardships. And it's really difficult to know exactly what Paul is talking about here when he's talking about these hardships. Because there were so many hardships in Paul's life. Possibly he was referring to the opposition that he and his colleagues had just faced. He talks about the the sufferings of Christ, how they flow over into our lives. The opposition and the suffering that Jesus experienced, they come to those who are his followers. Paul wrote this letter when he was in the, the province of Macedonia, on his third missionary journey, around AD 56. Just prior to this, he'd been in Ephesus. Where God had worked in power in amazing ways to bring many people to the Lord. And there were also amazing miracles through Paul's ministry. However, there had also been terrible opposition. Especially from the silversmiths who made the shrines to the false god Artemis. And so a riot broke out. And two of Paul's travelling companions, Gaius and Aristarchus, were seized. And for two hours, the crowds shouted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! In a complete kind of religious frenzy. And Paul's life was so in danger that even some of the provincial officials begged him not to go anywhere near that crowd. Because they thought he would just get torn apart. Is this why Paul wrote here that in our hearts we felt the sentence of death? Was it in seeing the hysterical passion of these idolaters that convinced Paul that it was only a matter of time before his life would be taken? That he would die for his Lord? But this wasn't Paul's only hardship. As he often did at the start of this letter, Paul introduced him here as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. In a sense, it's a simple statement of just who he was. But in this case, it goes right to the heart of the controversy that was surrounding Paul and his relationship with this church. Some false teachers had come to this church in Corinth. And they not only claimed to be apostles sent from Christ, and with the authority to preach a different gospel, they also challenged Paul's authority as an apostle. So they savagely criticized both his character and his ministry. As you go down through his letter, we'll see how they claimed that he was cowardly, weak, Deceitful, corrupt, foolish, that he didn't have the ability or the power or the presence to be an apostle. And so Paul felt kind of forced to write this letter in a big part just to defend himself and his ministry. Not not for his own benefit. He didn't do that just for himself. He did that so this church wouldn't listen to these false teachers and so be drawn away from the truth. But still, this was an incredibly painful time for Paul. Writing about a previous letter that he wrote uh, that we don't have in the Bible, he said this, uh, 2 Corinthians 2 and 4, I wrote to you out of great distress and anguish of heart. And with many tears, not to grieve you, but to know the, but but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Paul loved this church. God had used him to plant it in that wicked city of Corinth on his second missionary journey, and he would visited them. He had written to them. He had prayed for them. So it deeply upset him that they were now accepting this criticism from these false teachers and were also in danger of drifting from the truth that he taught them. This was an emotionally painful time for Paul. And that wasn't all. Later in this letter, he wrote about his experiences of illness, of weakness sleepless nights, poverty, hunger, cold, beatings, stoning, imprisonments. And the list is just huge. And all of this had this huge emotional toll on him. Verse 8, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Paul knew exactly what it felt like to feel stressed, exhausted, and drained. As if he just couldn't keep going. And he's not the only Christian who's felt like that. In the early 20th century, a guy called John Henry Jowett was looked on as the greatest preacher in the English-speaking world. And he said this, You seem to imagine he was speaking to people who listened to him, you seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs, but just a level and lofty stretch of spiritual attainment with unbroken joy and equanimity. By no means. I'm often perfectly wretched. And everything appears most murky. Then in the late nineteenth century, Charles Spurgeon who's often called England's greatest preacher ever, he said this, I'm the subject of depressions of spirit, so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to the such extremes of righteousness as I go. God's plan for us is not that we will experience everything that we could ever want now. Instead, as Jesus told us, in this world, you will have trouble. Life is tough. And there's good news in this. Honest, there is. I know it just sounds like bad news. There is good news. Because it means that we don't need to panic if we're not experiencing that earthly success. And happiness and greatness that people speak about. We don't need to think that worry that somehow we've messed up. What's wrong with me that I'm not experiencing what they are talking about? Or maybe even worse, what's wrong with God that He hasn't given me that that other people say is His plan for our lives? We don't need to panic. We don't need to question our identity as children of God because we're going through tough times. This is part of the life of being a child of God. But there's even better news than that. Although Paul uses the word trouble a lot in this letter, it's one of the main themes of his letter, He uses words like comfort and encouragement far more. So yes, we will all have troubles. But praise be to the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our troubles. This word comfort means someone who's called to your side. So Paul doesn't promise that God will save us from all of the troubles of this world. But he does say that whatever trouble that we face in our lives, God wants to come alongside us. Just like we saw in the video. And he wants to pick us up. He wants to put his arm around us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to support us. He wants us to help us to keep on going. Right to the finish line. And even just in this little introductory passage, I think there's at least six reasons that can give us real confidence that this is what God wants to do in our lives. Let's just quickly look at them. First of all, God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The false teachers, they were coming with a different message And they were talking about a different Jesus. But Paul, he wanted these Christians to stand firm in their faith because it is through Christ our comfort overflows. It's an amazing truth that we don't need to go looking for new ideas or innovative teaching or inventive theology to find encouragement and the support that we need. We don't need something new. We just need to trust in the God who sent Jesus to this earth. If he loved us so much that he was willing to give his only beloved son for us, then we can trust that he will give us everything that we need. This wonderful verse in, in Romans chapter 8 verse 32 it says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We can have confidence in the God of comfort because He is the father of Jesus. Secondly, he's also the father of compassion. This reminds us, as we've been already thinking about and singing about, that God is our compassionate Father. His heart reaches out to us in tender mercy because He longs to care for us. He longs to wrap His loving arms around us. He's the compassionate Father. But the Father of compassion, that phrase can also mean that He is the source of Compassion. His love for us is not in response to who we are, or what we've done, or how much we've loved Him. It isn't a replication of our love for Him. We love God so that He loved us. That's not the way it works. Instead, He is the source of the compassion. He loves us because that's who He is. His love is unconditional. His love is unlimited. His love is unending because God is love. So we can be confident that His love to us is real and unending and never changing. That He is the Father of compassion. He is the compassionate Father and the source of all compassion. But thirdly, he's also the God who delivers us. Paul had just experienced this. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril. God had just rescued him from a a bloodthirsty mob in Ephesus. And Paul had experienced deliverance loads of times in his life. Throughout the book of Acts we can see how, how God stepped in to rescue Paul from the Jews, from the Romans, from beatings, imprisonments, shipwrecks, snake bites, death. Again and again God stepped in to deliver Paul and so Paul was sure that God would continue to do this. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. No matter what danger we face, we can trust in God's power to deliver us. The Lord is my rock, Psalm 18, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I am saved from my enemies. amazing declaration of our trust in the God who we can trust in no matter what of course that didn't mean that that Paul believed that God would always bring him out of those dangers but it is that he believed even when the world did did its worst to him Paul was still secure Because he's also the God who raises the dead. As we know, Paul did lose his life, as as because he was a follower of Jesus, as by the hands of an executioner. But Paul was absolutely sure that he was headed for glory. This letter is full of encouragement not because we will experience everything that we could ever want now but precisely because for us who have trusted in Jesus the best is yet to come this is not our hope we are heading for heaven we are heading for glory and as we'll read uh, later on in this letter, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. But we'd better leave that for chapter 4, not now. That's an amazing promise. But even that doesn't mean that we just need to grin and bear it for now. That we need to just hold on until we get to heaven. And that's all we've got. We have got the present reality of God's help in our life even now. Paul was grateful, verse 11, for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul believed in a God who answers prayer who in response to our humble and our childlike requests comes alongside us, supports us, encourages us, empowers us by His Spirit to live out His calling to the full. So this is why Paul could write from a prison cell. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace in a prison cell. Peace, not knowing the future. Peace, not not having any idea of what's going to happen in the next day, or the next year, or the next, or or the rest of his life. But that confidence, that confidence in God, who can wrap our hearts and our minds up in His peace, that no matter what we're going through, we can experience that peace because God gives it. And we can leave whatever we're going through in God's hands. And we can trust that God is sovereign, even in the storms of life. But sixthly, we can also be sure that even in the toughest times, God is working for our good. Paul said about his difficult time, his really difficult time in Asia. Remember when he felt like he was, he just couldn't keep going, when he felt that sentence of death, when he felt it was just terrible and awful and he just couldn't face it all. He says, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Even though it was incredibly painful for Paul, He could see that God had a purpose for letting him go through it. God was using these struggles to help Paul. He was teaching him about his own weakness, about his limitations, about his need to rely more and more on God's presence, and God's love, and God's strength. And so instead of going through those struggles destroying Paul's faith, instead going through those struggles strengthened Paul's faith and deepened Paul's faith. We're going to see that taught in much more detail in that wonderful chapter in chapter 12 of this letter. But it just highlights one of the reasons I'm not claiming that that gives us the full understanding, but just gives us one of the reasons why God allows us to go through difficult times in our lives. It is in the painful and the distressing times that our knowledge of God goes from the theoretical to the personal and the experiential. It's when we desperately need Him That we truly learn that he is the father of compassion. That he is the God of comfort. That he is the one who answers prayer. That he is the one who comes alongside us. That he is the one who delivers us from danger. That he is the one who rescues us from death. And so through the difficult times in our lives, we grow in the knowledge of God. And in our trust in him. And what Paul calls here our patient endurance. The ability to keep going in our Christian lives no matter what. When you've met somebody who's gone through really tough times and they've learned those lessons with God there's a depth to their faith, isn't there? That encourages us this reminds us of that this is not even the end of what God wants to do in our troubles. He doesn't just want us, us to help us, to comfort us, to support us, to strengthen us, to help us to grow in our faith. His plan is that once we learn these lessons for ourselves, God wants us to then share them with others. Paul said that God comforts us. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. God doesn't want our experience of His comfort to stop with us. He doesn't pour those blessings into our lives just to bless us. Instead He wants us to spill out, to overflow. To other people who are also going through difficult times. He wants us to come alongside them. Just like God has come alongside us. He wants us to love them as God loves us. He wants us to patiently listen to them as God listens to us. To put our arms around them and walk with them through their troubles. Just as God does with us. And then to gently and to sensitively point them to the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who can fill their hearts with His love and His joy and His peace even in the middle of their troubles. And we can not effectively do that if we haven't experienced it for ourselves. Imagine the one, <coughs> excuse me, who wrote this letter, Second Corinthians, was somebody who had spent his time sitting in the sun by a swimming pool in a luxurious mansion in a gated community, pampered and protected from all the dangers of the world. I think his words would be empty and irrelevant. I wouldn't be encouraged reading it. We would all say, well, it's okay for you. But what about me here in Enniscorthy going through what I'm going through? But the fact that this is written by Paul, bruised and scarred, criticized and condemned, hated by the Jews, persecuted by the Gentiles, even rejected by his church. And his testimony of God's compassion and comfort comes with great realism and a powerful impact. And God wants to work the same in our lives. He doesn't promise to bubble wrap us and insulate us from all of the troubles and the difficulty of this world. He doesn't promise to give us everything that we could ever want now. He loves us far too much to do that. He said he wants to do something better. He wants to come alongside us to comfort and encourage us so that we we can deepen our knowledge of Him and our trust in Him and so that we can then effectively and sensitively bring His comfort to a lost and hurting world. Our Father is the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our troubles. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God.